The first 10 years plus of ministry for me were very much on-the-job training, trial-by-fire, learn-as-you-go type experiences. Uh, for Michelle and I, we, we entered into ministry, felt God calling us to take that step, and we felt young, we felt inexperienced, we felt unqualified, but we felt sure that God was calling us to follow Him and that He would help us along the way. So we didn't know everything that we needed to know. We didn't have all the skills that we needed to have. We didn't know how to even go about best teaching, preaching, counseling, uh, leading, all the different roles that come with leading a congregation uh, of Christians. Uh, but we knew the Father, and we felt Him tugging on our hearts, and we both felt it individually, we felt it collectively, we just knew this is what God wanted, we figured, well, we'll learn what we need to learn as we go. And that has continued, and so many times we don't know what to do, we can't pull on years of experience and say, well, this is what's been done, this is just, Father, what do you think we should do here, and with some things going smoothly and some things not, some successes, some failures, uh, we have defined our ministry as just trying to follow God wherever he would have us go, even if we don't know necessarily what that looks like, and even if we don't even know how to get there. We just want to know the Father. And I think that this sort of approach to faith is something that we want to maintain. We don't want to get to a place being from Michelle and myself, where we just, we know it all, we know how to do it, and then when there's a problem that comes up, we just sort of resort to solution 2.143 and implement that solution. It was like, well, Father, what's going on here? What should we do? And so in a way, I think we kind of expected that we would outgrow that mentality in ministry, and instead it's become the only thing that we can hang on to. We don't always know what to do, but we know the Father. It's not what we know or don't know. It's who we know. And we know that God will lead us through. He's been faithful in Scripture. He'll be faithful to us. And so as God puts on my heart this, this passion, this calling right now to want to help our church and the people that I lead band together into bands of disciples, just like Jesus did with his 12, as we pray about how do we be more missional, as we explore it, it's not a fear thing or intimidation thing for me about, well, how is this going to work? Because I've never known how things are going to work. But if we stick close to the Father, we don't need to know in advance all the what's and the how's. We need to know the who. And I think this is perfectly portrayed in the Palm Sunday story. This difference between knowing all about something versus knowing something for yourself. Knowing all about Jesus versus knowing Jesus ourselves. And so on this Palm Sunday, I want to give us some thoughts to think about to challenge us, uh, not in the how much equipping, how much knowledge, how much general information, how much general confidence do we have in God, to just do we know the Father and do we love His Son? Do we have His Spirit? Like That's the who. And beyond that, the what will come because the Father will lead us. The Son will teach us. The Spirit will guide us. That's how it's meant to work. And so this experimental approach to missional church, uh, to me, feels very much like the who is what's important. And the how and the what will be things that we discover along the way. And so I thought, as we, we start to think about Palm Sunday here in the crowds, which one minute are shouting Hosanna, and the next minute flip around and shout crucify within the space of a week, 
I'd like us to learn from Jesus' first disciples as we gather in bands of disciples and say, what was their experience? How did they handle when the crowds were all in favor of what they're doing and then also when all the opposition came? How can we make sure that for us, our faith isn't something like, well, we're all excited about it, but then later it's like, nah, I want nothing to do with Jesus. His disciples made it through. They persevered. They were protected. They were preserved through the end. And that's what we want for ourselves as well. So as I was thinking about the things that we know versus who we know, it kind of reminded me of when I was a kid and I was in school. So any students that are out there that are taking tests and doing reports, especially, you know, book reports, that sort of thing, you know you have to always cite your sources, right? So, okay, I know this fact, or I heard this, and now I have to say which book I got that from, which website I found that at, you know, what are my sources? Because you need sources in a report if it's going to be accurate, because either you'll just be making stuff up on your own, or you'll just get it wrong. But if you have a source, someone who's close to the event, someone who has that knowledge, then you can learn from them and implement it. We all follow. It's just a matter of who we follow. And I think we see this all the time in regular conversations. I even kind of wish there was a uh, citation police for regular conversations. Someone who just go around listening to everyone's conversations all the time. And when someone says, oh, well, you know that that happens, be like, okay, um, where did you get that information from again? Oh, okay, that website, okay, that's fine. They say, oh, you know, politicians are doing this, or you know, this has happened over in that country, or you know, this business is trying to do this, or you know, this is what happened over here. Like, okay, where did you get that? Because in conversation, we're not required to provide sources. We're not required to cite our sources. So it just becomes like general sort of knowledge. And it's a lazy way of talking. But also, how could we ever remember all the things that are said to us over the course of our, of our lives, days, months, weeks? Like, do you remember what website you were even on this morning or yesterday or a week ago that said this thing that was in an article which was quoting someone else? No. But once it kind of gets into our consciousness, then it's part of our general knowledge. And we don't even know anymore where that information came from, but we believe it. We just have it. We use it. But what are your sources? What if our conversations are like, well, I was watching Fox News last night and they said this and I believe them. Well, now we've quoted our source. We know who we believe, not just what they've said. We often live in this general sort of what, the information thing, but what's your source? You know, what if in our conversation is, well, I read an article in, you know, the New York Times, or I heard this from the BBC, or I was watching CNN last night, and they said this. If we had to cite our sources, now we're saying, I'm not the source of all knowledge, and I'm not just grabbing, grasping at straws here, like a, like a report where you're just making things up as you go, but you say, well, I have this source that I trust. And when we trust a news outlet... Actually, it's very much the same thing as trusting in God for our spiritual information. Once you trust that outlet, if new information comes up, we change our opinion based on what they say because they've gained some credibility in our minds. We say, well, it seems credible to me based on the evidence that they've presented. We thought this, but now new information is coming to light. So it's not even about what we believe. It's about who we believe. Because if you believe someone and then they come up with new information, you'll change what you believe. You'll go 180 in the other direction because of the source. This is the problem with the Palm Sunday crowds that we're going to read. Their source was public opinion, was mob mentality, was group think. Everybody's saying Jesus is the king, so Hosanna. But then a week later, everybody's saying that he's a heretic and a fraud, so crucify him. 
They knew what, but the what that they were getting was general abstract information. Oh, this guy did a miracle, brought Lazarus back from the death. Wow, he's great. He must be the Messiah. But they didn't know him for themselves. And so just like in a book report and just like it would be great if we had it in general conversations, we need this for our faith as well. We can't just have an abstract kind of knowledge that says, well, you know, you know, we're not supposed to do that. Or Christians aren't supposed to say that. Or, you know, well, my pastor said this. How many times do we quote preachers? I've heard this a thousand bazillion times. Like, oh, I heard a great preacher and he said, yeah, but he's a secondary source. Tell me what Jesus said, and then let's talk about that. Show me what the Bible says, this unchanging news document that documents the history of God with the whole Jewish people. This Bible isn't the record of everything God's ever done for every person. That's not its purpose. No books that could contain that. This is a specific story of how he chose the Jewish people, a small tribal people. And he brought them through so much because he loved them, and he's God. And he promised that he'd bring a Messiah for the whole world to forgive us all of our sins through the Jewish people, no matter what the challenges or the circumstances, because he's God. It was his choice. It's the story of what he did with Abraham and his descendants through Christ to the apostles and now to the world. It's that story of what God did. And it's not going to change because history is not going backwards. And it's not going to be proven untrue because it's been validated by the people that lived it and the people around them for all these books 1,500 years in the making. So for 1,500 years, the people around that found it credible. But it's also been found credible by people who have used it after the fact. I find the Bible credible. Because when I put it into practice, it works. I don't want to live my life kind of like with no bibliography, with no work cited. Well, I tried this over here and it didn't work. And I think this is probably true. It's like, no, what's your source? Because the things that I knew 10 years ago and the things that I know now are different. The what is different, but the who is not. God has been with me every step of the way and he'll be with you every step of the way. Release yourself from the burden of having to understand it all. Release yourself from the burden of having to compete with many sources. Well, this pastor said this, but this pastor said this. Who's right? Well, when I was young in Sunday school, they said this, but now as I'm older in discipleship, they're saying... What does the Bible say? What's your source? And this is what the disciples got to see firsthand. That when people are all in favor of Jesus in a crowd mentality, but don't actually know him, then you hear one good thing one day and it's praise Jesus, and you hear one thing the next day and it's curse Jesus. We don't want that to happen to us. So to protect yourself, for me to protect myself, our relationship with Christ has got to be personal. And when we witness to our friends and our neighbors, it shouldn't be, well, well, what do I know about Jesus? What's all the information? Because then our conversations become like debates. Well, you heard this in one book, but I heard this in this book. And I know some people think this, but some people think that. Instead of just, this is what I've come to know about Jesus. This is my experience. These are the words on the page of this book that he said for himself, this record of what Jesus said. And you know what? It's proven to be true for me. Because in those conversations, when it's personal, and for us who believe Jesus is the greatest, he's the highest, he's the noblest, he's the most beautiful, we don't need to compete with everybody who says this is more beautiful. We just need to know for ourselves that Christ is beauty. And when we live for him, it works. And then other things can kind of pale in comparison. And if some don't believe or some don't agree, God will sort that out. 
But instead of living our lives in the what, what do I need to tell them? I, I can't remember that Bible verse that I once studied. How do I know the answer for this apologetics? You know, instead of just debating everyone in the merits and the what's, let's celebrate Christ for who he is to us. Let's not make every testimony, every witnessing opportunity a, a debate. Let's take those opportunities to celebrate like the disciples really were, even though they were in the midst of a crowd that was only superficially present. There were casual fans. There were some bandwagon Christians, Christ followers, some bandwagon disciples in that Palm Sunday crowd. And they didn't make it to the end of the week with Jesus because by the end of the week, they were against him. But his disciples, they weren't the ones shouting, shouting crucify. His 12, they didn't shout crucify. They cried, they wept, and they ran, and they hid. It was some combination of sorrow and fear. That's where they were left on Good Friday as Jesus was crucified. But then on, Good, on Easter, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, you know, they, were, they were inspired again. But their faith had maintained because they knew who Jesus was. And when people were saying, oh, he's a hypocrite, he's like, but I've seen him in my own life. He's not a hypocrite. He's not a liar. Yeah, he's doing this just to overthrow the powers that be. And the disciples who knew him face to face said, no, I've walked with this guy. We begged him to take over the Roman Empire and take him again and again, tried to force him to become king by our force. And he's evaded everything. That's not what he wants. He's not here for power. He's not here to threaten Rome. He's not here to threaten Pilate. He's not here to just threaten religious rulers. He's here to show us the Father. And so those who knew him best didn't get sucked up into the mob mentality, into the hearsay, the court of public opinion. And that happens so much right now. I wish that we would just know our sources and I wish that we would know the one and then learn as we go the rest of the way. The disciples didn't know it all from day one, but they knew Jesus from day one. And they learned what they needed to along the way, made their mistakes, had their successes, but Jesus was there leading them forward. And that's what I want for us. I want a confidence in our relationship with Jesus that's unshakable. And I want our witness to the world to be a celebration. Jesus is just the best. Just, I love Jesus. What would I say I love about Jesus? I, I love his integrity. Oh, this man, no, no amount of peer pressure could sway his integrity. His courage, he would calmly, without getting angry, without fighting, without doing personal attacks, he'd calmly look at the hypocrite and call them him a hypocrite, even if they're the most powerful person in the land. But he was so gentle also. He was so self-sacrificing he was so wise. I love those things about Jesus. And I don't care who else has lived. There's no one that promised to die for my sins. And so for that alone, like he's got my heart. And every time I follow him, I, I see wisdom and beauty because I'm in his wake. And that's what he leaves. Wisdom and beauty in his wake. Forgiveness and grace. He's so good. So believe that with me or don't believe that with me. But that's what has come to capture my heart. And so I would want to celebrate that rather than devolve into a debate with what are these points and your points and my points? No, let's be reminded that we are called to celebrate our faith in Christ, not simply debate it. There's no one like Jesus. Let's look at the crowds, learn from their examples. And as we're replicating kind of this uh, current day version of Jesus bringing 12 together. And as I feel God calling me to help disciples kind of bond together and live out their faith, 
you know, the lessons of the first disciples really prove so much more inspirational and instructional. So let's just read two passages. We're in John chapter 12, verse 12. This is the triumphal entry. This is where everybody is for him. So John 12, 12 says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Now the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. So the reason the crowds wanted it is because they were into it for the miracles. I love the miracles of Jesus. I love his power, the amazing things he does through the power of God that he calls us to even do, to lay our hands on and to heal, to speak words of wisdom, to hear prophecies from God. Like the fact that he'd invite us into that is amazing. But the crowds were just in it for the show. Oh, he could do miracles? I want to see one. Wow, he's the king? I want to know the king. But they didn't know Jesus personally. So they heard from someone who heard from someone that Jesus did something. And then they heard from the crowd that saw Lazarus come back from the dead that Jesus did it, and they wanted to see for themselves. But was it personal? No. They knew what they know, but they didn't know who they were supposed to know. So if we back up to Mark chapter 15, verse 6, you see the end of this Passion Week. So Palm Sunday, the celebrating crowd, they know what, they don't know who. Here is where the same exact crowd goes at the end of one week. Mark 15, verse 6. Now at the feast, Pilate used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you called the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified do you see the chief priests are stirring up the crowd and Pilate wishing to satisfy the crowd? All the crowd knew is what was being told to them secondhand from credible authorities. Oh, this must be bad. They said it's bad. Okay, so crucify him. And all Pilate knows is that he's afraid of an insurrection, of a riot. And so whether this is right or wrong, I have to make sure that I appease the crowds. And these were important steps that brought Jesus to be crucified. Now we know he submitted to this. Father, your will be done, but not mine. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He said he gave up his spirit and breathed his last. He said, it is finished. <sighs> who are your sources? When it comes to your faith, who do you quote most? Bible, 
Pastor Dave, pastors that you've listened to online, sermons you've heard, books that you've read, or Jesus? Scripture. Let's not be these sort of generic Christians who have generic ideas about faith because it'll be too hard. And when enough voices come in and say, well, that's not true, that's not true, that, and we're looking for other people who have other opinions to validate ours, we're like, well, maybe they're right. Don't listen to people. Listen to Jesus. Don't elevate people, pastors, churches, books to Christ's level. Nope, they stay down here. Churches historically have had trouble making their tradition be equal with Scripture. No, tradition's down here. Scripture is here. So let's just look it up in the Bible, our source document for why we believe. But more specifically, let's get to know Jesus himself. Because then when we hear these rumors, when all these rumors are running rampant about what he is or what he isn't, we can say, yes, but I've discovered him to be this. And he's beautiful. On this Palm Sunday, I challenge you to not think about what you know about your faith and all the things that you do know, because if you can debate one point, you can debate another point. I challenge you, I beg you, spend time getting to know Jesus for yourself. Because when you see him and you see the light of God in the face of Christ, it will begin to transform you. It will just change you. You'll see Christ for the beautiful, magnificent, powerful, sacrificial, divine man that he is. And all the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, as that wonderful old hymn says. So this Palm Sunday, you know, Palm Sunday really is a day of celebration, uh, but in a way, it's a, it's a case study, a cautionary case study to not let our faith grow generic, to not let our relationship with God be abstract, but to make it personal, to own it. And may this be refreshing and restorative for your and my faith, and may it be the thing that draw people to Christ. No one's going to fall in love with a theoretical Messiah, but everyone will fall in love with a Jesus who knows them by name and who died for their sins and who offers them eternal life. So let's be the ones that celebrate. Let's be the ones who rejoice in Jesus like the true disciples did. Let's not get caught up in the court of public opinion. And let's know what we know and from whom we know it. Let's stand on the word of God and let's live out this faith in Christ as bands of disciples in the world I'm making a difference, building and bringing the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. God bless you this Palm Sunday, this Passion Week, with a personal relationship with Jesus, closer and deeper and more powerful and beautiful than you've ever experienced before.